0: Be a pro with AC Pro. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com
1: for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. It's the amazing Rico Bronia podcast with your host, Evan Roberts. Ah,
0: That. Is was freaking brutal. That was brutal to watch. We all did it. I respect that you did it. I respect that you went on YouTube and you followed us down this black hole that you said, you know what I'm going to do with my life? I'm going to spend three hours watching the most painful loss in the history of the New York Mets. And that's all I could think about. All I could think about watching this game, game seven of the 2006 NLCS. Oh, by the way, welcome to Rico Bronia and welcome to the big rewatch of Game 7 of the 2006 NLCS, please rate our pod and click subscribe on our pod and do whatever funky things you want to do to our pod. You know the pod, Rico Bronia, The one that decided to put you in a hellhole of depression by watching Game 7 of the 2006 NLCS? That's us. But watching this game, and this is the first time I watched this game. I was at the game. I lived the game. We all did. But this was the first time I went back and watched it. And what it reinforces to me before we break down every aspect of this game is that I think this was the worst loss in the history of the Mets. Now, maybe, maybe if we rewatched game one of the 2000 World Series or game five of the 2000 World Series or game one of the 2015 World Series or game six of the 99 NLCS, Maybe I'd have a different view. Maybe I have this bias towards the fact that we just rewatched this, but this effing sucked. This was the biggest cock tease. I think we have ever had as Met fans because what pained me throughout this game was that we thought we had it like everything about this game. I thought we had it. So let's start right from the top. All right. And what's so funny, not funny. What's so sick about watching this game is it's recent enough where I really remember certain moments. Not I remember, I really remember certain moments. And then when you see it again, it reinforces it. So let's go right back to the top of the first inning. And let's all remember that Oliver Perez on three days rest is starting this game. And put yourself in the mindset of what Oliver Perez was back then. We didn't hate him yet. He just was the throw-in in in the Roberto Hernandez trade after Duaner Sanchez got in that stupid taxi, the Xavier Nady trade. And he had pitched a few games earlier in the NLCS and was okay, but he wasn't great. And now we're relying on him on short rest in game seven of the NLCS. And he gets the first two outs pretty easily against David Eckstein and Preston Wilson. And then this is the most underrated effing moment. Albert Pujols, who at this moment in time is God, like he is the premier right-handed hitter in all of baseball. We are facing a walking God, pops it up. As soon as I saw the Pujols pop up, and again, first time I'm seeing it from TV, I remembered how I felt when Carlos Delgado could not catch the infield pop-up. I was convinced it was the one moment in this game before the bitter end where I thought we were completely fucked. Because you're telling Oliver Perez, who sucks, who comes into this game. I'm looking at my scorecard because yes, I did score this game. He comes into this game, you know, with a what ERA from the season, a seven ERA? Like this guy, we can't trust him. We're putting him in a tough spot. And he just gets a one, two, three inning, but no wait. It's handed back because Carlos Delgado can't catch a pop-up. And I remember vividly in that moment. And even rewatching this, thinking Jim Edmonds is going to make him pay. Like, there's no way Oliver Perez is going to overcome the fact that Carlos Delgado couldn't catch a freaking pop-up. And seeing Oliver Perez have the poise to so casually get wanting Carnacion. It wasn't Jim Edmonds. I'm looking at my scorecard now. I'm remembering wanting Carnacion, the cleanup hitter, to hit a lazy fly ball to right field. You got to admit, that shows a lot of balls. Like even rewatching it. Did you forget that Oliver Perez had balls seeing him get Encarnacion a pop-up after Carlos Delgado decided to take a giant crap on the field by missing a pop-up? Yeah, I mean, I didn't remember that off the bat. I just remembered that Perez
2: really got signed because of this game. Like, his extension became because of how good he pitched here. I didn't remember how good he pitched, but he was – in that first inning, especially, it just looked like he was on point. And that's all they kept on talking about, too. They talk, kept on talking about Jim Tracy, what he said, where he's landing. If he's not landing in a certain spot, he's going to be a little bit wild. <laughs> I'm like, wow, they're just ripping this guy to shreds. They're talking about his record 3-13. and 13. Like, he sucked, and yet he's starting game seven.
0: It's so weird because we have, like, different versions of Oliver Perez. So the, the final verdict on Oliver Perez is he has a couple of good years, gets the dumb contract, and then is horrible. So a lot of Mets fans have negative views towards him. But this was the new Oliver Perez. This was the guy we just acquired. And like I mentioned, he was sort of a thrown in that trade. And you brought up his stats from the season with Pittsburgh. They weren't very good. And we're forced to start him in a seventh game. And he's a young pitcher. And it's like, what the hell are we expecting from him? Like, what are we really expecting? And the atmosphere watching this game on TV, and you could feel it, and I certainly remember it being in the building, the atmosphere was through the roof. I mean, everybody is standing at Shea Stadium from first pitch on. So imagine that feeling if you're Oliver Perez. You're in Game 7. You're facing the storied St. Louis Cardinals. You're facing one of the greatest hitters in the history of the sport in Albert Pujols. You think you got him out. You don't have him out. And you're doing it, by the way, while 54,000 people are standing on their feet and they're screaming. So I got to give Perez major credit because getting through that first inning after the Delgado drop was pretty incredible. Now we get to the bottom of the first inning. and, And this is the other moment where you think it's our night. You think, like, this could be a party night. Jeff Supon gets the first two guys out. And remember, Jeff Supon had also pitched brilliantly a few games earlier against the Mets in game four of the NLCS, or game three of the NLCS, one of the two, I forget. And there's Carlos Beltran. And every time I see Carlos Beltran in this game, we're all going to get that same feeling, that same feeling of inevitability of we know where this is going. But think about what he does in the first inning. He goes opposite field against Supan, hits that double to left field. Two outs, runner on second. Delgado draws the walk, and here's David Wright. And David Wright, and you could ask, by the way, Hoff, you could ask Sal Licata about this because back many years ago, me and Sal would argue about the Mets, and Sal didn't like David Wright. He called him uh, the golden boy, I think is what he called him. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Price and coverage match limited by state law. And a part of our arguments was about how he didn't do anything in the NLCS. That was his point. Like he didn't do anything and and he's sort of right. Like David Wright had a very quiet NLCS, but in the first inning, and this was always the moment I would kind of refer to when Sal and I would argue is that David Wright drove in the first run. He drove in the first run, but what. Would be reminded was, well, it was a blooper to right field. Who cares if it was a blooper to right field? Line drive, 50 miles an hour. In the time before exit velocity, he hit a ball. No one caught it. The Mets had to leave. And so David Wright, despite doing very, very little in this NLCS, which I acknowledge he did not have a great postseason, drove in the first run. He hits the fly ball to right field. It falls in in front of Incarnacion. Beltron scores. And we are 24 outs away from the National League pennant. Think about it that way. We are 24 outs away from the pennant. And Sean Green, with a chance to bust it even more with first and third two outs, hits that line drive that off the bat, you're thinking up oh, 2 nothing, And Scott Rollins just standing right there. But they got a run off Jeff Supon. We scratched out a run against Jeff Supon. We had that little blooper from David Wright. And now it's back to our man Oliver Perez. Can you hold this lead? Can you somehow take us to the promised land? Not that one run was going to be enough, but how about this? How about the fact that that one fucking run we saw in the first inning was the only run they were going to score. That was it. Little did we know. Well, sometimes well, in sports, if you only knew, you only knew you knew, and we didn't know what we should have known. Know what I'm well, they, they kept on throwing up stats from Jeff
2: Supon, and I forget exactly his, his numbers. But they were stupid against the Mets. They were like ridiculous. I want to say he was like his ERA was like in the high ones or low twos. Yeah.
1: Like he was, it great was match.
2: just he he killed us. He, he killed did. us. And like so for the fact that we got a one roll, we got one run to start the, the game. It was like, oh my God, we're gonna break this guy open. And that just clearly never happened. He nah, he, he, he settled down after play.
0: that, man. I mean, what think about did. this. Jeff Supon gave up that base hit to David Wright. That's the last hit he gave up in the game. It's, it's, oh God, it's just, he is a Met killer. You know, you want to put a Met killer on. I mean, Jeff Supon was certainly a Met killer and he did it. And this is the part that's so impressive. That crowd, and I felt it again, watching this game was as loud and as into it as a crowd can humanly be. I mean, it was electric. You could feel it and you could see it through every single inning. The crowd never sat down. Like, the crowd was up the entire time. What really hurt them, and I don't want to kill Perez for this because he pitched a hell of a game, was that second inning. You know, you call that the shutdown inning after your team gives you a lead. Tom Glavin was so bad at it. It's why game five of the NLCS still haunts me as well. But the first pitch he throws in that second inning, Jim Edmonds ropes in a right field for a base hit. And then he's ahead of Yadier Molina, who had a very good postseason. You know, before he hits that home run, which we'll get to later, you know, Yachty, who did not have a career track record, I mean, during the season was like a two twelve hitter. He was not the guy we now know him as, who actually put together a reasonable stick throughout his major league career. He was a hit machine, and he got a base hit on an 0-2 count, which really set that inning up. Because back in the day, I don't know if you guys remember this, but pitchers used to hit. I don't know if you guys remember that. And so Tony LaRussa. After Yachty got that base hit to set up first and third one out, did something pretty damn interesting in front of the pitcher spot, in front of Jeff Supon, who wasn't a bad hitter, by the way, if uh, memory serves correct. He was actually one of those pitchers that could handle himself. They went safety squeeze. The Cardinals tied the game on a Ronnie Belliard safety squeeze. He got the bunt down. There's nothing Jose Valentin could have done other than just throw to first base for the out. And that's how the Cardinals tied this game up at one on a safety squeeze from the great Tony Larusa. And look, to Ali Perez's credit, he got Jeff Supon out. And to Ali Perez's credit, in that third inning, he gave up a leadoff double to David Eckstein. And he got out of that, too. He got out of that, too, in which the Mets showed a smartness of let's not let Albert Pujols beat us because one on, runner on second, one out, Albert's up. They put his ass on base, and Juan Carnacion, who didn't do much, grounds into a double play. Started by the great David Wright. So Ali did a pretty good job of dancing through that third inning after David Eckstein ripped that double. And also watching this game reminded me this about David Eckstein. And I forget which moment it was in this game, but there was a ground ball to shortstop. And David obviously made the play. He was a sure-handed shortstop. It was actually the first play of the game because the first play of the game was Jose Reyes grounding out the short. David Eckstein reminded me of how painful it looked for him to throw to first base. Like, I forgot about that. Like, David Eckstein's throw to first base looked like a Little Leaguer who was struggling to get it across the diamond. Now, he would do it effectively. (laughs) He would do it well, but... It had been a while, Pete, since I had seen David Eckstein's Little League throw from shortstop to first base. No,
2: I mean, uh, yeah, you remember all these little isms, like the fact that you are talking about Yadier Molina, what, you know, early in his career, what he was missing, you know what he was missing? All his freaking tattoos. I mean, the guy was basically, <laughs> I, I didn't see a single one. It was unbelievable. I'm like, now the guy's retired. He's got like full body tattoos everywhere. I
0: know. He's a different freaking human being. He's a pain in the ass. He's one of those guys that, you know, I think back on, and he didn't do anything wrong. He didn't do anything, like, evil, but I just don't like him. It's very, very very difficult to just not like him.
1: Hey, Rob Bradford here. You guys know I'm always up for a good MVP story, and one of the best